Uh, hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. It's a podcast. Intros. Podcast. Intros part two. <laughs> uh, new feature. Yeah, new feature. Um, we're loving it so far. I, I am Mark Fraser. That is Christopher Cusack. That is Vicky. Mm-hmm. Surname redacted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Leopard print lanyard. Henry. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking to get that to the end of the episode. But see when it comes in, you can fucking love it. Con you is the key to humour. Uh, so, yeah, so let's get into it, man. Picking up where we left off last week. Mm-hmm. Right, who's next? I'll go next because we're talking about working class and to okay. the, the album that I picked is, is very much a working class record from the American point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Americana by the offspring. Now, I don't want to talk too much about this because we did on our pop punk episode. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have very mixed feelings on this record now that I'm older, and I will talk more about that than the actual album. <laughs> Fine, yeah. um, I got this when I was 12. It was the first album I ever remember asking for, um, and my dad bought it for me because I was 12, didn't have any fucking money. I was, I was just in, I was just in secondary school. Uh, and I heard Pretty Fire for a White Guy on the radio, and I, I have now come to realise as I've grown older that that song was made for people like that age yes. <laughs> to get into music. Right? Which is yeah. fucking tragic. <laughs> yeah, really, really bad. Weird white boy Latino rap reggae rock. It's, yeah, it's a horrible, horrible song. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is like the, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is the point where the offspring went bad for me. Yeah. Right? I mean, because Xne fans were good and Americana fans are bozos, right? Because <laughs> until then they were a slightly derivative kind of like, earnest sort of grunge punk band but I don't know, know like an X name the Hombre they had more which is all about buying weeds and then there was another song which was, which was about something ridiculous as well yeah but they didn't have the same fart Buffoonery. you know <laughs> they had Don't Pick It Up I guess on, yeah, on X yeah, name totally, was, was pretty silly but it wasn't like their, their lead single do you know what I mean Smash was that kind of somewhere between Nirvana and Green Day sort of earnest punk thing. This was when they were sort of okay. Was it American Pie and all those jackass, blah blah blah, yeah. all that shit? Yeah, you know, Euro trip and dude, where's my car and that that whole culture, like wait, hot American summer, Gonzo mm-hmm. American. I think this album was written culture. and recorded and released before American Pie and definitely before Jackass. Um, cause Jackass oh yeah, was it was 2000s. definitely before Jackass. Um, right, yeah, because this was ninety eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was twelve when it came out. Um, I used to let I, I played this CD so much that I actually warped. It was the only CD I had for a long fucking time, right? Really? Um, and the, the singles on it—that's <laughs> brain damage, like, man. <laughs> I was—I was twelve years old. Like I didn't know anything else, you know. I was—I mm-hmm. think I must have probably got a few crying mix. I would—I was reading crying about that time as well. So I probably did have some some uh, cover mounts, but I don't remember any of them. Yeah. Um, the singles on it are are, are garbage. Like she, she's she's got issues was one of them, which is just a, a shit song. They're not garbage. Why don't you get a job as, ba- as literally the same chord progression and melody as Obadiah Obadiah? Yeah, the, oh, the the, aye, totally. But I won't pay, I won't pay, no way. The kids aren't all right. It's a good song. I yeah, mean, I mean, that, yeah, I keep forgetting that was a single yeah, because so it wasn't a single when I, when I first got it, so I never associated with being a single. Because that, that you know song mean? to me totally refers back to that earlier it's stuff. It's so punk. Yeah, 
yeah, enough. and it's also mm. got that kind of earnest, angsty thing that mm. that stuff off Smash especially had. Mm. It's the riffing; it sounds a wee bit like Blondie as well. Mm. That always. H- how old are me. these gentlemen by this point? Too old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what yeah. I was thinking. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I mean, if you like Offspring. Uh, the kids aren't alright Works really well for Offspring Okay mm. it's oh, Yes it is still aimed at, at kids And singing about kids And stuff like that But It does what Offspring Were pretty good at Without being a fucking Outright You know joke yeah. I mean Because one of the things That attracted me to this album When I was young Was the darkness of it And it's a dark it's a, There's a lot of dark songs on it Dark relatively speaking I think this album's a fucking yeah. Like fart joke man I don't I don't get the darkness at all Like like Have You Ever Is pure SoCal pop punk It's got that Like minor key The whole album's about unhappy lifestyles in America. Can I can I know? see, see um, since you've mentioned it as well, have you ever for me it's such a poor opening song for an album. It starts pitchy, it stays pitchy, singing is his fucking voice is terrible always in like it. That, yeah. No, um, but I mean it's nowhere near as good as almost anything on Ixney. I mean, I do think, as much as I think this album's not good, I, I think it gets a lot better than Have You Ever. I do not it does, understand. Yeah, it does, yeah, um, I don't understand why that was an opening track. The end of the line is kind of them returning to an idea that was on, that they did in an EXA in Hombre, but better on that album. Americana was a really good song but just because the lyrics are a bit pure and it doesn't really click with me anymore but Walla Walla is all about being it's all about being in prison and stuff like that so that, that's pretty, <laughs> in, pretty Wait, interesting hey Walla, Walla Walla is the name of prison in America is it? yeah uh-huh. and what were they saying about it? Um, I can't remember because I didn't actually listen to the record <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to listen to that I want to know what the, the offspring have to say about the penal system in America um, and then now that I reflect on it Pay the Man's probably the most interesting song because it does something a bit interesting. It's got some Eastern scales that are exploring some different ideas. The, you the know. Eastern scales were something they already did. Yeah, but like know. they went full on like psychedelic with it. You right. know, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, does this album hold up today? Nah, absolutely not. This band might have been influential, but I, I think it was only because of place and time, not because of the actual music. I don't think a lot of the music in this album stands up compared to Smash. Exactly. Right? It really doesn't. I, I think The Offspring are a really important gateway band. I think we said that in yeah. the, pop, the pop punk al- like, uh, episode. Like, they are a really useful band. Like Smash and the, the melodic structures of some of it, even mm-hmm. though it was a bit overwrought, was still useful for giving you ideas about where you wanted to go and it was smash that got me into bad religion um i don't think offspring were ever the world's most credible band i just think this was the album that cemented them as like annoying fart core a bit and made people like henry rollins just go to war against them you know what i remember of them or maybe what their value is is a bit like you say it's they're an important gateway band until kind of the late 90s after you had stuff like this you didn't really see we skater guys jumping about and like you know that shirt that was ubiquitous that everybody had with the flames going up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Aye, the aye. After these kind of albums come out, you started to see we guys cutting about that were into this kind of music that had the bleach blonde, hair, spiky hair or whatever. Yeah. It was actually important for getting a lot of those young kids into a subculture the, a, a that was subculture like more coalesced around this, this and a couple mm-hmm. other bands. That's true. Aye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was the first album I ever bought, and it paved the way for me to get it. It was a gateway. Record that got me into other punk records, which I prefer way more than this. I never revisit this album, I never revisit this band. Uh, I guess it's a cool first album for a 12 year old to have, mm-hmm. but on the whole, it just I think it's pitched just about right as a 12 year old yeah, album. That's definitely. the thing about this album it's like if you're 12 years old and that you're, you're into it, that's fine. I knew plenty of people that were a lot older than 12 that were into this album, <laughs> and that wasn't fine. Were they married? <laughs> no, any male. <laughs> that um, cover art is like the Melvins. It is. I think it looks like the same artist as the, the one that did uh, Electro Retard. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so the album that I've picked here, um, it's not really an album, it's a soundtrack to a film. Um, it's 
the soundtrack to My Girl. That was the first record you bought? Mm. Or, I mean, thereabouts? Like, you specifically sought it out? I so. Like, the f- I think it's the first one that I spent my own money on. I remember I, I got money for my birthday and I spent, uh, I spent it on the soundtrack. I absolutely loved the film. This film, for me, I mean, my profile picture on Twitter is the main character out of My Girl. <laughs> it's a really And I look like Macaulay film. Culkin. You look like Macaulay Culkin, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, right? <laughs> Oh my god, it all makes sense. <laughs> my Girl is like really a massively like formative like, film for me. Like, it, it was such a big deal to me as a child and as I got older, I never stopped loving it, right? It, it, it's so, I, I try to think why. I mean, the reason at the beginning that I really, I was really into My Girl was because I loved Macaulay Culkin, obviously. Macaulay Culkin was hot shit at that time, right? Mm. Um, but it was also, it had this female protagonist. It, it had storylines that were m- more interesting than most kids' films, to Absolutely, be honest, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's about a girl whose who's mum's died, she lives with her dad in a funeral home, and Jamie Lee Curtis is this kind of, like, hippie that comes into the... Well, she's not, well she is kind of free, free kind of hippie woman that comes in, and she's grown up... And, making friendships with boys and she's starting to think about it. she gets her first kiss and then her best pal dies it's, there's there's a lot in there for a, for, a yeah. kid, for a kid's film right so it just really really touched a nerve and one of the main things that I loved about it was just its whole 1970s aesthetic mm. I think it was set in 1972 yeah came out in 1991 and I'm seven at the time so mm. that soundtrack I used to play that all the time it was on CD I would I remember playing it on the CD player before I went to school in the morning every single day like listening to it listening to it and loving it it's got stuff like Creedence Clearwater Revival on it I mean on the actual CD it's a uh, Bad Moon Rising but in the film as well Run Through the Jungle mm-hmm. is in the film all as right, well okay. So it's got that genre of music for the 70s. It's got stuff for the 60s and that in it as well. It's got the flamingos, I Only Have Eyes For You, which I absolutely love. Um, it's got Sly and the Family Stone mm-hmm. uh, that song that Sly and the Family Stone song that's on it is hot fun in the summertime and actually the Beach Boys covered it on that uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that Summer in Paradise mm-hmm. album was that the one that was deleted? aye yeah. uh, <laughs> Beach Boys best record yeah. Yeah, you know it was interesting because when you say, when you nominated this one I was like I, I wonder how much that had to just do with just simply loving the film and wanting to own that uh-huh. it's fascinating because this is you know, decontextualised. If this was just a mixtape, it would sound like the mixtape of like a fifty-year-old person. I, uh-huh. don't, I don't mean that as a criticism. No? There are albums you could play incessantly as a kid uh-huh. that would go a lot worse in your parents' eyes than this, because uh-huh. this is the kind of thing that I'm sure they could be like. Yeah. That's actually I fucking love these songs. It, you know, it, it's, Whereas, it's, if yeah. you're putting on Americana every day before school, I'm not sure. fucking hate it. <laughs> clearly, clearly, a lot of this was to do with just loving the aesthetic of the film. But I was surrounded by hundreds of '60s music when. Mm-hmm. I was wee. Yeah. I was, my parents, you know, so my parents are, I suppose, just a bit older, because like, I'm the youngest, do you know what I mean? So they're yeah. a bit older, and I, this was just music that I was kind of, I probably listened to a lot, but I, I think it helped really cultivate my taste in music quite a lot, and yeah. the things that I went on to enjoy, you know, um, a lot of the 60s and 70s stuff that I absolutely loved when I was a teenager, you can see the seed of that in this kind of stuff. So it had like Manfred Mann on it as well, do a diddy. There she was, just walking down the street singing. See the song Good Loving by the Rascals I think I must have heard that song about 50 million times I still put it on playlists Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I really need to love. Now give me that good, good 
like even like recently in the last few months I've put that on a playlist to listen to I just I, I, I love I love that film I think it's it's a great film for a young person to watch I think it's to use some one of your favourite terms Chris more nutritious than other offerings possibly <laughs> yeah. but um, you know, <laughs> we're talking about a lot of kind of gateway albums here yeah. it's interesting that a lot of the gateway albums we've mentioned are albums that led forwards whereas this is an album that's actually a gateway I, into the music of the past mm-hmm. for young people because the, the music of the past can seem especially when you're young already very old hat and sort of like well, I don't want to get into what my parents listen to I want to have my own taste I, Whereas it's fascinating that this was, for a lot of people, I, w- I would suggest a, a, an album that allowed them to really engage with a huge library of music that already existed, especially stuff like Motown, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the, the troves of stuff they could they could dig into. Seeing as we're sharing, can I just say something? I've never seen My Girl. Oh. And I think that must put me in single digits in it's, the planet now. Yeah, probably. It's <laughs> awesome. It's a good film, eh? Mm-hmm. It's a good film. Is it not weird though that as a kid you loved this album and yet surely, especially because of the film, it was associated with such a melancholy ending? The, 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 I always, even though I've right. not seen My Girl, I understand it to be a film that is a kid's film, but it's very sad. Do you know what I think it is, right? And I think this is, I mean, I'm not the first person to comment on this, right? I'm pretty sure. I remember, I remember seeing a conversation between Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain where she explains to him that the objects a girl's desires is much more complex than a boy fancying a girl. It's all about imagination and getting into like imaginary relationships in your heads with people and, you know, having this complete inner world you know the part of that I think is what was going on with me in this I had a complete inner world about being in that film or you know being being connected to the characters in some way or the storyline and that soundtrack was just kind of part of keeping that going in my yeah, everyday life exactly yeah. it draws you, you into that yeah do you know what I, I, I know mean? exactly what you mean yeah can I just say as well <laughs> I didn't really think about it but that I probably felt the same about the fucking Transformers movies <laughs> 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 Love it. <laughs> it allowed me to just, you know, pretend I was like, was it young Sam in that? The, yeah. the one that never leave Optimus? I can't even remember, mate. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I had lots of really innocent, really innocent fantasies about Macaulay Culkin coming to my house in Bells Hill and picking me up my limo and stuff like that. <laughs> I, was, I was the same with Optimus Prime. <laughs> I mean, I, every, every, every boy wanted to be fucking picked up in the Optimus Prime truck and then transformed and just like working looking over the world I think I was a bit I think I was a wee bit of a kind of like perv because I liked Ultra Magnus Nobody liked Ultra Magnus. I can't remember Ultra Magnus. I bought Ultra Magnus. I mean, Ultra Magnus was in chat. I don't fucking understand this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different podcast, but there's there's at least two listeners nodding like fuck right now, and we're going to start a band. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think because of the analogue nature of all the songs on this record being from the 1670s, it feels like a warm hug, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And the film does feel a bit like a warm hug for most of it as well. Mm -hmm. It's got that. It's got that. It's it's got that kind of soft, focused, hazy, dreamy feel to it, you know? Because it's set in a an idealised version of the mm. early seventies. It's got a total Ron Howard vibe to it, even though it wasn't. It's got mm. that sort mm. of like timeless Happy Days film deck set wide yeah. period mm-hmm. piece. Yeah, recent history mm. nostalgia thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what was that show um, with Kevin Arnold? Oh, the Wonder Years. Uh, yeah, and uh-huh. the and the Wonder Years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly the same kind of vibe for sure. Um, it's just chock full of bangers. There's not mm. really much. There's not really much to say about it. Um, all the songs are really good on it. I listen to this again on the way over and it just makes me smile. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Even you can't can fuck with it. It's, you know, it's, kinda, it's timeless. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like totally timeless. timeless. It's just, yeah, completely timeless. The only thing that kind of stuck out to me is like, if you don't know me by now... Anytime you hear that oh, song, Ricky Gervais. I, I hear, <laughs> I hear simply red because my mum fucking like loved that. She oh. had that album that this was on, and she used to play it all the fucking time. So I always hear fucking Mick Hudson. No, I, I hear oh, that what, is disgusting. What, what was Ricky Gervais's character in The Office? David, David Brent. Brent. He does a cover of it in The Office that he, he releases a single, so, and he makes a video, and he's got like the white shirt and the white linen trousers on, and he's like lying, <laughs> singing it, and looking out at like a curtained window, and you're just, that's what I think about. I, I do tend to skip that one if I'm honest. 
Christ. And Badman Rising that just it reminds me of Vietnam. Uh, <laughs> it uh, no, Run yeah. Through the Jungle is more Vietnam. Uh, yeah, I, no, I fucking no. love I, 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 I Run me Through too. the Jungle, I prefer, I remember as a, a, as a Wayne, like I say, like Run Through the Jungle is now on the album and I would be like, what is that song for years and years and years? I was like, well, oh, I need to really find out what that song is. And then I remember like being in university or something like that by the, the time that I found, mm-hmm. I found out what it was. <laughs> and so there you go. All right, well, third category, Mark, you're going first. Yeah, so... Now, the, by the way, the third category, we should say, we kind of left it a little bit open so you can pick something that would apply to any of the two previous ones or just some kind of outlier, some some mm-hmm. record from the deep, dark, distant past mm-hmm. that was particularly notable. So the, the reason I picked this, uh, Nirvana, never mind. The reason I picked this album was because, of the, I've heard that. The, because <laughs> of the story behind it for me. Um, so I first heard Smells Like Teen Spirit when I seen two boys, one by the name of Richard Duffy, one by the name of Stephen Mallon, miming Smells Like Teen Spirit on the stage. And I remember hearing that guitar riff and being like, to my pal, I was like, what the fuck is that? And he was like, that's Nirvana, I've not heard that. I was like, no, no. And then some guy in, in my in my year who was selling CDRs, like, mm. sold me a, a £3 copy of the record. Mm-hmm. And after I got that, um, somebody in my family, I can't remember who, somebody really unexpected, or someone I didn't think was into music, gave me a copy of Bleach. I don't know why they had it mm-hmm. they didn't like it <laughs> they gave it to me yeah. and I was like what the fuck this is not Nirvana what the fuck is this and then I started to get really like Slipknot and Corn and stuff like that can I just say I think a lot of people got into Nevermind and thought oh like my sister for example and then thought right, I'll try, see, try some other albums and then they got Bleach and they were like no yeah. no yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's not for me it's yeah. not for me yeah um, the thing is the, the, this, this album is quite caustic in places yeah, yeah, yeah you know what totally I mean is, that, yeah. the, the singles maybe aren't in hindsight mm-hmm. uh, but some of the some of the tunes are I think that's the reason So I ended up trading this CDR For an actual, like, a legitimate real copy Of the Slipknot self-titled record, right? Mm -hmm. And that got me into heavy music That got me into metal and and stuff like that But in in my teenage head There there wasn't very There wasn't very much difference between those two There obviously is a huge difference, right? But you're right, it had gnarly bits And never mind And Mm. Slipknot were the gnarliest band that I heard ever You know, But I think lots of people were buying never mind And listening to the singles And no bothering with the album tracks, maybe To back that up um, Smells Like Teen Spirit has 1.2 billion That's billion with a B Plays Mm -hmm. on Spotify uh, so that kind of goes to back up the entire argument that people just bought it because it's a long record. It's like it's almost fifty minutes long, so it's mm-hmm. a long album as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, not for the era, though. Yeah, I mean, but if, if you're just looking for the the two singles, it's yeah, a long fucking yeah. record to sit I, through. I have to be honest, uh, Vicky, you probably know I quite like Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> Christ, we used to walk through Stirling and people would shout Kurt Cobain. <laughs> <laughs> right. you. But I was never that huge a fan of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Like uh, it was the other tracks on this album. I mean, even from I the singles, it smells like. It's it's five minutes long it's five minutes 18 yeah, as well even it's so it, I mean, fucking five, long man. yeah no, at the man. time it was a long single but you know even the singles like lithium and come as you are and stuff i always thought they were more interesting I've never liked Come As You Are I don't like that song man I I just I don't know what it is Got them in a lot of trouble I love In Bloom the others Courtney gave her that gave them that riff and then they they Mm. ended up in court because Mm. she'd ripped it off a kill and joke track Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. I mean what is there to say about this has not already been said no this entire album is antithetical to everything this podcast stands for (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. I I tell you what there is that could be said about this album that's never been said Mm -hmm. so I first heard Nirvana when I was on a French exchange trip in France when I was about 11 years old Mm -hmm. somebody gave me under cooked steak and I puked it on the bus um, and uh, I was 
the guy who I was on the exchange trip with was a good few years older than me and even at that age I felt bad because I knew that he'd got somebody that he didn't want on the exchange <laughs> thing because I was like just this wee fucking tiny wee guy and they were all hitting puberty and I was just this wee tiny pathetic dude and that guy had like Look, Macaulay Culkin he'd literally yeah, fucking get Macaulay Culkin he'd, he'd got the short straw so I, I rocked up Nerd. exactly I rocked Come up with um, Big Country Best Of and was playing that and he put on this record and I didn't get it but I remember mm-hmm. on a plane was a track from it that mm. even then I was like oh I don't know about this it's a, bit, it's a bit much for me but that one's really working you know and I remembered that a couple of years later when a guy called Alan Douglas burst my football <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't remember how it happened I think he kicked it into the middle of some bushes and Rab Douglas' son sorry Rab Douglas' son no no it was too ginger <laughs> but um, Alan burst my ball and then he wasn't repentant at all and I was like, how can you not be repenting? That man's football is like really, really personal thing. <laughs> and so I pretended like that was fine. But then I bided my time. And then when I was in his house, I nicked his copy of Nevermind. And to mm. this day, that's still the copy of Nevermind I've got. I've taken good care of it. Wow. Um, he's br- but I will say, even though that was dishonest, and he, he can use this against me, his <laughs> brother, I recall, his older brother had like loads of Guns and Roses and Iron Maiden posters. So Kurt would have approved of me, mm-hmm. you know, rescuing mm-hmm. that. <laughs> CD from that household but okay, you've justified that in your head mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> absolutely I've, I've, I've spent a long time trying to put, put that uh, excuse well, in Chris I've got a surprise for you here tonight. <laughs> <See you> tonight. <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's 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 lots of interesting things about this album. There's interesting things like the the Butch Vig version of it. The original version, it was a lot more caustic. The fact that it was sent away to Andy Wallace and he compressed and polished the shit out of it. Um, I think the notion, like we're saying about definitely maybe, the fact that for me, the secret to Nevermind is that the album tracks are so good. It's not the singles, because the singles are utterly burnt out for me. Mm -hmm. But to this day, I think Lounge Act is the most perfect bit of alternative rock written. I I just read you, my favourite. Drain News. Well, yeah, Drain News, another great one. Like, the, those album tracks in this are like Breed. Breed, uh, breed and Territorial Persons are like tied mm. for my favourite song in this Absolutely record. fucking tremendous, right? Yeah. So, the album had a lot going for it beyond just those singles, which yeah. is what a lot of these other ones maybe didn't, you know? And that gave it a longevity because once you were bored of these overplayed things, you could still go back to it. I still, I can't listen, never mind. I tried to listen to it recently, I can't. I'm oh, like, skip, skip, I can't. I think Nevermind serves an interesting function, though, in Kurt's image that, mm-hmm. that he liked to project, right? Because Kurt always sort of pretended he didn't like this. Right, Kurt was obviously a punk rocker and, you know, mm-hmm. Bleach, as you say, is obviously really heavy mm-hmm. and then in utero went in a direction where it was very caustic yeah. with Steve Albini. But even within that Albini thing, when they got Scott Litt in, for example, to remix, um, I think it's, is it uh, Penny Royal Tea that he did? Yeah. Um, those little tendencies I think betrayed the fact that Kurt Cobain liked to give the impression that he hated these commercial things but actually he was really pretty proud of them yeah, and clearly. What, what he needed was the ability to outwardly say oh well here's this incredible pop album I've written oh my god it's so goddamn slick I hate it but it went out there and made him really fucking famous and then he was able to keep writing incredibly poppy mm-hmm. things that he mm-hmm. could then say he hated and then mix them, intersperse them with these much more caustic things that he could sort of say, oh, that's much more my kind of thing. But he was ultimately a, a big contradiction of yeah, a he guy. Loved it. He loved the Beatles, he loved John Lennon, he loved exactly. that kind of music, but you know. I, mm-hmm. You know what, I think we're talking about the legacy of these albums to them, and I'm sorry I've hijacked this one, Mark, but it is Nirvana, so fuck you. You look at my wardrobe, it's full of check shirts, right? Um, From I, 1991. Yeah, literally. Um, I think the key purpose, though, this year for me from a very early stage was that um, it made me 
initially questioned like what is this this guy seems to love writing these kind of songs but then he tells everybody he hates them and then there were so many things that began to not ring true about Kurt Cobain's lifestyle and his personality his drug use and you know some of the things he said and some of the ways he behaved and the fact that he didn't seem like a very good father even though he loved his daughter and see as a young guy see learning that kind of nuance it taught me really early on don't deify anybody like like Mm -hmm. I loved Nirvana and I was absolutely infatuated with Kurt Cobain to the point where I, I remember trying to like mentally make myself stop growing so I could stay the same height as him Aww. you know what I mean it's that level of like fixation but that's probably why you did they quite make it to six feet I know it's fucking murdery <laughs> if only I could go back and, and unthink their thoughts um but honestly like It was a really, really useful life lesson for me. Mm -hmm. Not maybe the life lesson that a lot of people took or that was Mm -hmm. intended by Nirvana, you know, because there were a lot of other more obvious lessons about tolerance for LGBTQ lifestyles and all that kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I think learning not to deify anybody was vital. And Kurt Cobain was the perfect fucking lesson in that. Mm -hmm. He He was great for that because he seems like a fundamentally lovely, complex, petty, petulant, grumpy incredibly talented engaging funny introverted guy he's so complicated and mm-hmm. absolutely like never mind as much as I don't listen to it hardly ever now with the, with the exception of the odd tune on a playlist like the ones you're talking about Vicky um, I, I will always take the lesson that I got about Kurt Cobain from that and the fact that no matter how much you admire someone keep their flaws in perspective and keep and just keep that in your mind yeah, fair point mm-hmm. I mean the, one of the other reasons I wanted to bring this up was because I think it would be remiss for us not to bring up an Nirvana record in this kind of episode because most of the people listening are going to be influenced by this band or by bands that were influenced by this band Definitely. you know it's the, the, the like much like uh, Oasis they're a culture unto themselves they're not mm-hmm. a cultural phenomenon they are the culture you know what I mean mm-hmm. and for me I listened to this earlier on because I, I made the notes and I, I didn't even need to listen to it. I was like, I should probably, I should probably listen to it. Mm-hmm. And the, the remaster is actually really good. <laughs> it sounds great. Um, I don't know if I've heard the remaster. It came out in 2011, so hi, it's been out for a while. Uh, and it, it made me, it made me start thinking about the whole overproduced argument of it, which, which was obviously something that Kurt Cobain used to always say. And I think people that don't like this record for that reason are, are operating in bad faith. I think you know that's just part of the appeal of the record. That's why it sold so many fucking copies. You know? Absolutely. Um, and you wouldn't be listening to it if it wasn't quote unquote overproduced um, and it's just yeah and like we've already said it's chock full of bangers um, like I said Breed or Territorial Pissons mm-hmm. both quite punky songs obviously appeal to me quite a lot um, Territorial Pissons makes a great hardcore punk song actually mm. yeah um, some good covers yeah um, the, the Combat Kid version is, is, is phenomenal of that actually Lithium's really good um, Definitely the, the blueprint For Loud Quiet the whole, This whole record is You know what I mean um, Taking for the Pixies Obviously But every band's done that Yeah since, you know. Like Lithium's also got Like an early version Of that Sort of millennial Chorus thing That we do in Scotland Like Twin Atlantic And all that mm. Oh it's yeah. kind of got a, a precursor to that going on, doesn't it? Yeah, Loud Jack, Loud Jack you've mentioned that. I, I, fucking amazing. Yeah. End, end of Life Tonight sold out video. You know, Kurt's dead. That kicks in over the black screen. I've said that before on the show. That just is, is fucking absolute perfection to me, man. I oh, love it. The uh, way the last time through goes yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's really downbeat and the chorus is the same kind of register and then it just kicks up and it's only like less than three minutes long as well, which is it's pretty clever. Something the way is one of my favourite songs. It actually hints towards the direction that we've been in, 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 in loss of in utero. Um Yes, that's good. Yeah, but except something in the way ties into what I was saying as well about you know the the false sort of the impression mythology. of the guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I mean this whole thing is very disputed whether or not he ever really was homeless and slept under a bridge and stuff. It's like mm-hmm. I know that he's saying that it had to be literal. A lot no. of people say things in songs that aren't literal, but it was adopted in that way. It was like, oh, he literally did this and he literally <laughs> did that, and it was like. Ugh, there's a lot of bullshit around him and I don't necessarily a lot of that was his fault but mm. folk need to just fucking be keep the People guy in perspective are generally shite at textual analysis when it comes to lyrics and music don't they like I mean a lot of like people getting pissed off and I'll come speak about that when I speak about my thing just totally misinterpreting stuff and having no idea about 
how to read it, you know? That that stuff is also the point where Kurt Cobain started to slide into the same fate as like John Lennon, where people are sort of projecting all these Aye. things onto him mm. and he's, uh-huh. a, he's acquiring a role yeah. in, in their life that it's like, that's not the guy, by the way. That's quite a, fla- a flawed human being you're talking about. Uh-huh. In your head, he's somebody completely different. And It's yeah. almost like uh, overanalyzing the bass lyrics, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's do a double episode on it and see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's next? Shall I do mine? Because mine won't be. Aye. Yeah. There you go. I've um, never heard this album before. Really? I heard the singles, obviously, but I've never listened to it. So I've picked Different Class by Pulp. She came from Greece, she had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's what I got her eye. I think this, this album must have come out about 1995, 96. I think one of the Christmases, 95, 96, my sister had a boyfriend. and um, for her. Yeah. How's that going? <laughs> <laughs> They're no longer together. Oh, She's moved is, on. Uh, <laughs> I hope he's um, all right. And uh, I think he was trying to endear himself to like, our wee sisters and things like that. So we got Christmas presents off him. And, Good. Uh, sounds all right. I thought uh, you were going to say something really, really dark. Jane, <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> quite quickly. Not, not on this podcast, man. Right, um, <laughs> he, he sounds like a decent Maybe bloke. Maybe do a bonus episode about that. He sounds like a decent bloke. Right. Uh, if somebody still gets his number, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably he's like his jail number. <laughs> is, it, is it his pal Alan? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I he got he got me and my other sister some CDs. I can't remember what Carrie got, but I got Different Class by Pulp and Everything Must Go by the Manic Street Preachers. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that the name of the album? That's correct. It's a yes. fine record. <laughs> Fuck me, man. That's an excuse to get the locks changed. This is when I think back. This is so nostalgic for me because I can close my eyes and I, I know what I was like at the time. I was obsessed with Man U and Ryan Giggs. I was in this like wee bedroom where I just had like my wee um, my wee ghetto blaster. CD player, you know, some cheap piece of shit out of Argos. Yes, exactly. Um, And get Christmas time, so like I can remember like sweeties I was eating when I was listening to both of them, you know, (laughs) and just that whole cultural milieu of Britpop and guitar bands and Spice Girls as well and all of that stuff, you know, so um, the reason I've picked this one though is just because this is an album that I still actually occasionally listen to and I absolutely love Jarvis Cocker again it's a bit like the Madonna thing part of what you like about him is because he was quite irreverent and nothing Mm. embodies that or nothing exemplifies that better than the whole Brit Awards instant yeah. when you get up mm-hmm. on stage and they I uh, got that right it's, oh, like, it's, it's like John Lydon with the, the Jimmy Savile I, I mean Michael Jackson for anybody that's not familiar with this Michael Jackson was on stage he received like a kind of lifetime achievement award for the Brit Awards and he was on stage doing Earth Song but the choreography was very much like he was this kind of Christ-like figure and he had all these children in about him and it was dead self-important and grand deals and all that and Jarvis Cocker kind of like ran up on stage lifted up his top to flash his belly button and then wiggled his arse mm. his closed arse at Michael Jackson and then ran off the stage mm. right <laughs> I mean that is the extent of it and he was detained and questioned by the police yeah. and interestingly recently I listened to Bob Mortimer's autobiography Bob Mortimer before he became a comedian was actually a qualified uh, lawyer mm. and Bob Mortimer was there at the Brit Awards ceremony and some pulp were like Bob, Bob, Bob you need to help Jarvis because he's being detained by the police so like Bob Mortimer temporarily kind of stepped in while he was getting questioned and stuff like that and was his kind of like representative now ultimately they didn't charge him with anything because that's fucking ludicrous if they did, right? Um, but Michael Jackson himself made a massive deal of it was like I'm sickened by this and everything yeah. and it was pure controversial and Jarvis Cocker was very much like well I was a protest against somebody where I'm mess Psionic complex. I just think it's really nice that somebody waggled their bum at Michael Jackson exactly. and he didn't stick his finger in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about there, Christopher. <laughs> good, good for Jarvis. But, but that's part of what you love about Jarvis Cocker is his kind of irreverence and he's quite down to earth. And I know he gets kind of, um, he himself, he gets parodied and lampooned and things like that. I remember that uh, Brass Eye episode yeah. with the, um, <laughs> so Paul, go on that, you twat. <laughs> he's, you know, he's a guy that's aged pretty well. I don't mean yeah. like aged pretty well physically. I, don't, I have no idea about no. that, but I just mean his 
persona his age pretty uh-huh. well like he, he, he walked a line at the time I can't say I had a great deal of time from then but in, in retrospect I, he's, he's pretty good he, he got it right in a yeah. lot of like different things you know he's just he's an interesting guy as well he's, mm. his life story's pretty interesting you know his dad abandoned him when he was seven years old I didn't yeah, so, I don't know much about his biography well, he, yeah he was oh, I can't remember it was like Sheffield or something he was from and Aye. his dad left his family his dad was a, a DJ and an actor and he abandoned them and fucked off to Australia and left his mum to raise him, uh, Jarvis and his sister uh, alone. I think they re- the Jarvis and his sister flew over to Australia when he was like 30 and reconnected with the dad. I think he said, oh, I don't hate him, I've forgiven him, I just feel sorry for him, something like that. His mm-hmm. dad became like a hippie and lived in a commune. His mum, interestingly, became a Tory councillor. Mm. Wow. I have no idea what that I means. It probably tracks, but... Mm. He's just he's just a really interesting guy. He did a bunch of TV things in the nineties because he was such a compelling personality, mm-hmm. you know, very dry and mm-hmm. and, and quick witted. Uh, he did a show called Journey into the Outside in the nineties. I think it was on Channel Four, which was him travelling around the world actually, meeting all these outsider artists. And he had just such a kind of empathetic and sincere take on the art they were they were creating. He, he's he's quite compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean. As Mark says, we've all heard the singles in this. Aye. Um, it's it's a it's something about this album I don't get. Is I don't get the run order at all. It seems really strange. Mm, I um, it, I mean, misshapes that that first tune in it is quite well known as a single. Mm-hmm. There. But it, the way it kicks off the album just doesn't really make sense for me. And then it got that, uh, what's it called, pencil skirt, the mm-hmm. track after it. Aye. It gets so low key and low energy mm-hmm. so quickly. Now you can tell us some lies about the good times that you've had. But I've kissed you. Um, it's not that I think they're bad songs I don't really have any real feelings on them either way I just think it's a, a strangely arranged record Yeah, I think I can see what you mean by that Because um, there is quite a mishmash of songs on this album In terms of like their tempo and things like yeah. that I've never really taken that into consideration But I definitely see your point For me, I think why I still listen to this album Is because the songs I listen to on it now Aren't the ones I was listening to back You know, when I was a, a wee 11-year-old um, I really love feeling cold and that was definitely one that I would have skipped when I was younger yeah something changed as well and was I think it's hilarious yeah absolutely and going mm-hmm. back to what I was saying about misinterpretation there was a big campaign by the Daily Mirror because the journalist Kate Thornton who you probably know I think she did like X Factor maybe and she's been on Loose Women so mm-hmm. she had wrote this big thing about how it was a it was encouraging people to take drugs and it was pro-drugs and all that and it's like clearly not it's ripping the piss out of pe- like this kind of superficial kind of shallow way that people in the drugs community talk to each other because it's all that oh nice one geezer and yeah. that's as far as the conversation went you know, it's, ri- it's for, ripping the piss out for yet. foreign listeners the track's sorted for ease and whiz uh-huh. which is meaning like oh yeah I've got, got my ease ecstasy and, and what, what, speed speed mm-hmm. whiz yeah Mm-hmm. So in his response to that as well It's like you say He's quite a measured person When he's responding to things And I don't think he kind of courts controversy But he doesn't shy away from it And he was just like Right well we don't I actually don't want to be appearing To be encouraging anybody to take drugs Or or alcohol even you know And Because I think that initially They had released the single with a, a kind of instructions for making an origami wrap <laughs> That you might put powdered mm-hmm. drugs inside so they kind of took that away get away get rid of that or whatever but he was saying actually it's it's not a pro-drug song at all you've you've really misinterpreted the lyrics there and i just i find all that stuff really tedious but i like how he responds to it mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Good luck policing pop music for references to drugs. I know, right? <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed this album. I, I agree with Chris. The, the, the run and order is just strange. Really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I really liked about it was Ice Fly because it's got a total James Bond life. I've got a note of that as well I, It's somewhere between James Bond And the, the music From the song I Need a Hero Yeah <laughs> totally Absolutely yeah Totally get that It's it's the, it's the strings That give it uh, the, 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 James, the James Bond yeah. feel um, it's, it's just so overblown And mm-hmm. that's why I love it so much Yeah um, Pencil skirt is really creepy Aye But that's Jarvis Cocker <laughs> it's cool, All that. over yeah. the back That yeah. kind yeah. of like Sexual Deviant Playing on that You know There's loads of references It's quite to understated that though You know it's it very understated James this, this, this is, it isn't a concept album, is it? But it's very close to being a concept album. Right, yeah, it's, it's close it's to It's observing that. sort of English sort of... Class, well, class, different class. Yeah, like mm-hmm. working, upper working versus lower middle class mm-hmm. life and mm-hmm. the people that cross that boundary at university. And, yeah. you know, the song Common People obviously being the absolute... Uh, epitome of that. Epitome of that. Mm-hmm. And, li- like, let's just give credit to how fucking well that song has aged. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because that song is a still a dance floor filler. I actually probably like that song more now than I ever did at the time. I'm probably the same, man, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, just my appreciation for what a a musical achievement it is and how well it has aged has only grown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so very similar album. I've yeah, chosen. Very, very similar. <laughs> very similar album. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't believe how similar it was. Yeah. Heard it. Uh, Chaos AD by <laughs> Sepultura. Chaos AD. <laughs> yeah, this is this is a strange selection, right? For you especially. For for me especially, <laughs> and also because I was twelve when I heard it, right? But it's got such a significance for me. And I mean, the point of this show was to talk about albums that maybe kind of blew the doors open in their li- like our little tiny minds mm-hmm. when we, when we were younger, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. This literally probably as much as any other record apart from maybe Nevermind blew the doors open on my on my mind mm-hmm. and I wasn't a massive fan of it I'm still not a massive fan of it in no. fact I've got written here is this actually good or is it just a <laughs> bit of nostalgia mm-hmm. right because my cousin had this she was a big Guns N' Roses fan right and uh, she had this in cassette and she gave it away with me and I was like oh thank you very much but my parents didn't know it was sort of like a covert mm-hmm. transaction she mm-hmm. was like here by the way put this in your pocket get that didn't you <laughs> and, and so I, I was like sitting in the back of the car the whole way home going oh fucking hope my parents don't frisk me <laughs> They better not frisk me, man. Smuggling contraband here. (laughs) (laughs) And I got in, I I remember peeking at the cover, because one of the things was I was 12, and I was really fascinated by this mummified figure Mm -hmm. hanging upside down, Mm -hmm. sort of like wrapped in robotic tendrils and pipes and cables. It had that cyborg, morbid sort of metal thing going on, cyber metal graphic thing. It's really interesting that, I think we spoke a a little bit about it in the Maiden episode as well, it's like the cover art for a lot of metal albums that I think is deliberately designed to engage with a certain kind of young person. Yeah, I mean, I was getting into (laughs) comics, you know, like even... Um, even Having fever dreams about Transformers. (laughs) Absolutely, man. (laughs) I was like, I could be the mummy and that could be (laughs) Optimus's big robotic dick wrapping around me. Um, but the fact that I, Daddy Optimus come get me I'm trying try to run a podcast here Vicky. Um, No I just You're right I was getting into comic books And even some of the kind of more adult comic books Like the kind of 2000 AD mm-hmm. stuff I would keep sort of hidden away Or mm-hmm. you know stashed like Castle's on Guernica <laughs> <laughs> That's right um, but there was what, a, is that these days by the way? <laughs> so there was a fascination with that aspect of it. When I got home, I remember going up to my room and sort of checking the coast was clear. And I had, again, <laughs> the same mono cassette player, right? All my things were in cassette, right? I remember having it at its lowest possible setting and pressing my ear against it to, to, the, <laughs> to the extent where nobody else could possibly hear it. But 
I didn't even want anyone to know I was listening to something this ferocious because I was. It's not like my family were puritanical; they weren't at all. No, you know, not like, at all. but I was really worried that I'd get caught. You'd have to explain this. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and and I actually remember at one point my mum coming up the stairs and I just like totally panicking, you know, and switching it off and st- sticking it under the bed and trying like there was such a sense of taboo about it, and mm. and, and, and mm. in hindsight, it felt really thrilling. And, and the music felt really thrilling and it felt illicit and scary and I couldn't understand why it was so evil sounding and so ferocious and it, I know that all sounds very melodramatic now mm-hmm. I didn't have any older siblings I was never exposed to mm-hmm. anything like that mm-hmm. you know like, so Meatloaf was literally probably the most metal thing I'd ever heard in my life mm-hmm. and so this was like really it did blow open the, the, the doors of my mind the parameters of mm-hmm. what was music and so I tried to kind of I, I tried to understand it I think that's that's probably the best way to put it mm-hmm. I didn't massively like any of the tunes but I found some of them really really interesting um, I, I know that the people that do like Sepultura will note that the Chaos CD album is the album where they moved away from being a thrash band it's actually their fifth album mm, which is mad because it was in 93 but uh, they moved away from being a thrash band to being like a kind of groove metal band and a sort of nastier Pantera kind of vein um, mm. not that I knew Bulk. what any of that stuff was Refuse, resist. I remember because of the lyrics more than anything. Territory. I remember really liking the drums at the start of Territory because I had this really interesting percussive pattern. Some amazing drumming on this, like yeah. throughout. By the way, Igor Cavalera, we've said it before, fucking the last time I heard him, he was drumming with Soul Wax, yeah. which I think is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Kiowas, I loved on this, the fifth track, which is mm-hmm. like that kind of... The, acoustic sort of thing. The acoustic thing mm-hmm. where they nod back to their Brazilian sort yeah. of like, uh, ethnic kind of origins. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a lot of respect for the tribes in Brazil and they did their best to sort of platform those kind of causes and it was a theme mm-hmm. in a lot of their records and actually that really stuck with me that track I remember trying to do things like it as I was kind of dabbling about with recorders and stuff as I got a bit older um, I remember this track Biotech is Godzilla <laughs> because I was fucking 12 and I was like I like Godzilla <laughs> I don't know what Biotech is but it sounds scary It was a very thrashy song and also stupid as fuck. I mean, mm-hmm. the chorus is like, Biotech is Godzilla. <laughs> it's fucking daft. And Chilla Biafra's on that song as well. Is he? Yeah. Oh, I, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. But there you go, that's perfect. <laughs> um, I remember the track, it was like, We Who Are Not As Others, I think is the title. Mm-hmm. sounded so evil to me then I was like why is he so fucking sad <laughs> um, the, my favourite tune in it was a track called The Hunt which I didn't actually know at the time and only yeah, it was a cover of New, uh, New Model Army actually found that out very very recently but it sounds like a post-punk song they're playing and it's really bizarre on the record it doesn't really sit properly it doesn't sit properly but I did find that the most accessible Mm -hmm. tune even though it was still heavy it had a kind of momentum and a driving sort of feel to Mm -hmm. it that the others didn't but honestly I just found this such a fucking interesting record when I was Mm -hmm. that kid it really challenged me and even though 
I didn't I mean I gave my cousin the setback I didn't go out and buy any Sepultura but it was only a couple of years later maybe two or three years later when I was like getting really into Nine Inch Nails and then I was getting into stuff like Downset was spoken about and I was hearing bits and bobs of stuff on the radio and I, I remember the Sepultura tape and I think the vast majority of stuff that I listen to now that's that heavy would I have ended up listening to it? Maybe I would but this played as big a role as any and just expanding my mind in terms of what county does music mm-hmm. you know what I mean it, it was it was amazing what do you think of it now I think it's pretty good I mean I, I like it I still like it a lot more than I like anything like Pantera there's maybe a wee bit of nostalgia attached to that but um, I, I do think it's a remarkably stupid album like I just I mm-hmm. mean the, the, the mentality level of the, the lyrics is fucking ridiculous but it's, it's a second language to be fair <laughs> yeah yeah it is but it, it, it's a fun record it's good I think it's interesting how when when you're little and you don't really have clear concepts of music, lyrics, or you just you're completely in the dark about most of the world, and things like that almost scare you. Like I remember being really scared of Ozzy Osbourne, like really scared of him. Like that's evil. I, I know, obviously, I had a Catholic upbringing as well, right? And that no doubt plays into stuff like that, like reading symbols associated with the devil and things like that in a really, really terrifying way. But I think that when you're little as well, your mind just fills in the gaps of the things that you don't understand, and usually fills it in with a lot of shite mm-hmm. and superstition and ghosts and fucking goblins and <laughs> do you know whatever else I remember Tubular Bells was in um, The Exorcist yeah. right but probably because of the association with that you know I've had this total fear round about it and like this total spine tingling yeah, reaction it had to an it. occult quality to it no matter, like, yeah. yeah and I think with a lot of like, metal music especially I, I remember being quite scared or you know freaked out or you know really intrigued by what the mystical aura about that was and the and obviously in the 80s it's the height of the whole what was it called again satanic panic satanic mm. panic so we didn't really stand much of a chance of just being able to embrace some of that stuff as just part of a wider yeah. mm. uh, like genre to, to enjoy <laughs> yeah, we, it was we were, like we were fucking terrifying to dread it to, to, mm-hmm. and hide it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that impulse is probably what drew, drew me to Subdot and Marlon Manson mm-hmm. I mean something happened to Marlon Manson recently I don't know if you heard but, <laughs> um, but, but I was brought up turns like, out he wasn't the upstanding citizen that we all thought he was it turns out everything that he said in his book actually did fucking happen and he's always yeah. been a creep like, yeah. you know mm-hmm. um, and he talks about it in his autobiography in 1997 for fuck's sake mm-hmm. uh, but yeah I mean I was brought up Catholic as well and I used to get forced to go to chapel every Sunday by my dad who was not a Catholic and he was divorced from my mum and he had to take us because mum couldn't go and it was pure nonsense but like that the whole like fuck God and all that and that was <laughs> I can't believe you said that yeah, no, pure, pure catnip to me as a wee guy and it's why I, well, I think it's why I since gravitated towards darker kind of music and like mm-hmm. like the macabre basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and funnily, it's funny that you picked up this record, man, because I heard Roots Bloody Roots on Music Channel of a music channel of friends. Yeah, see, we're going to be getting things on Twitter going. By the way, that hang about God. That's pretty rude in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. Don't Sorry. say fuck God. Don't say fuck. I apologise. Apologise. Don't say you're attracted to fucking God. <laughs> Sorry. Roots, 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 bloody roots, Mark. Um, Sorry. So I seen that in a, a music music TV channel in a friend's house, and that had LimeWire back then. So one, I did start doing Sepultura, and the two songs that I got first were "Reduce Resist" and "Propaganda." That was before I'd even downloaded like Roots Bloody Roots. I was just like grabbing anything I could mm. see, and those two songs like and it only took a week to download a tune. Exactly, I, I, you know know. I mean? and it was uh, those two songs were ingrained in my head, and it just took me hearing them took me right fucking back to me. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. it was a really bizarre thing. Like, I completely forgot propaganda existed, and as soon as the first riff came in, I was like, "Holy fuck!" I remember that song when I was fourteen years old. <laughs> it was just yeah. it was a, a pure That's like, a nice feeling. Yeah, it was a flash really was not expecting to get that, you mm-hmm. know, because I, I spent a lot of time thinking about the records that really had influenced me and coming back to one which is oh, this is totally came out of nowhere so I really mm. uh, thank you for that experience it was really fucking yeah, cool that's all right. I'm leaving um, Gordy Lai I didn't listen to it it's, it's a good I, 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 I mean I just knew straight off the bat you're going to fucking hate it mm. and I think if I was coming at it cold I'd probably have absolutely no attachment to it mm. it's like when Dave nominated At The Gates and I was like man this that is 
sorry it's like when Mark <laughs> nominated at the gates even worse uh, and I was just like man this is I've got no visceral connection to this whatsoever mm. it's just fine but that's that's what this music does if you're not invested in it but because this has mm. that significance I can't I can't I mm-hmm. can't break that link at all guys so we don't normally do this because well it's customary to do your research before you record an episode but as you just heard I put my hands up I did not listen to Chaos AD before we recorded well more film me because it's an absolutely fantastic album I have listened to it since I've listened to it three or four times since and it's a truly amazing find for me I think the first thing I noticed is that it's not really overly produced in the way that some metal albums can be. It sounds pretty lo-fi in comparison, which I think is quite nice. It has a kind of Melvinsy slowness, which appeals to me. And it doesn't seem cheesy or dated in the way that other albums can be, especially after a period of nearly 30 years have elapsed since this album came out in 1993. I like the way it takes some diversions. It's something that I appreciate. It fits in well with other heavy bands that I like, for example, Bosch, who also take diversions into different tempos on their albums. You feel more like you're on a journey. It's more of a variety and more likely to get me to to continue listening to a metal album, to be honest. The song Kylas has moments that actually sound like Crosby, Stills and Nash. I can also hear how Sepultura have influenced a lot of bands since then, bands that I've enjoyed. I think people have tried to do this and my only real critique of the album is that it's too long and it fades a wee bit at the end. I think they could have they could have stopped round about the 40, 45 minute mark. But what an absolutely brilliant album to get into as a youngster. Like that's good quality and I really wish that I had had it in my life sooner. So thanks for that, Chris, and let's get back to the show. Well, after listening to this, I can I categorically tell you that I would take this over Fear Factory any fucking oh, day yeah, of the week, absolutely. man. And maybe even some Pantera stuff as well. I, I, I like Pantera, you know, despite all the fucking things that are wrong with them, which are legion. I can't believe you just shot down Marla yeah. Manson here again, Pantera, and almost passed here. I still listen to Manson as well. I just didn't need to have to like him as a person. You heard it here first, folks. Um, That's the end of this mm. podcast. But... Like these guys had better riffs because they were a death metal band to begin with. Pantera were a fucking glam metal band. <laughs> they certainly were. You know, these guys knew what they were doing, and and they, they took it down the tribal route, harking back to the roots. And for me, it works so much better than the the dunderheaded rebel flag waving groove yeah. metal that Pantera did. Mike's yeah. a right on guy. Yeah, yeah he's one of those. Huh? He's one of those metal people. You're like, oh, he's not actually. But as far as I'm aware, embarrassed himself yet. No, so. and he's, he's getting involved in some. Don't come on, he's getting involved in some dodgy projects over the years, like Soulfly. Pretty much. Maybe he was also in Nail Bomb. I was in Nail Bomb, yeah, and which is a pretty fucking good yeah, project. So. And he did Killer Be Killed, which is not a good project. So I mean, he's, but he's, he's, he keeps going and he keeps trying different things, which is a lot more than you can say for many artists from that era who do metal music and I think mm. he is a pretty cool guy and he's still got his accent so when he sings it still sounds fucking mental <laughs> but I love it um, I like this record man and it was good to come back to it yeah well that was intros that was us doing it first and we're going to try and rope some more people into it maybe see I'm sure Pharaoh's good. I wonder wonder the fuck he'll pull out the bag man oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was the kind of guy that his first record was an obscure seven <laughs> <laughs> um, be curious to hear what Dave says as well yeah, it'll be, it's, it's probably a corn record. I right? still <laughs> listens to whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, hope you enjoyed that. Um, again, please go and subscribe, Mark. How do people subscribe to this podcast? Uh, go to our website, uh, unsungpod.net. You can find all of the platforms there. Otherwise, half of our listeners on Spotify. So if you're not subscribed to it on Spotify already, hit the fucking button, please. Uh, do some reviews. Do some reviews. Uh, and also, 
just share the episodes and share this, share the love to other people, you know. I've really, been really getting like some of that, that recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to our man Kenny Benella mm-hmm. for joining the record club, uh, the Unsung Record Club. We've got multiple tiers. You got your basic level, you got your digital level, where we curate albums and send them to you for a mm-hmm. small fee every month, and that money goes to help the bands and the rec- the kind of independent labels that are putting that music out. Yep. And then you get the vinyl club. Uh, same thing. We buy direct from the bands that, uh, and the the labels, and they're using. That to press and record new stuff, mm-hmm. which is quite exciting. Awesome. Yeah. Plus, it keeps us in, in business. It keeps Mark in Marlon Manson tattoos yes. mm-hmm. and Vicky in leopard print lanyard. lanyard. <laughs> <laughs> That's me in a nutshell. Leopard print lanyard. <laughs> uh, well, we're not going to tell you what we're doing next week because we don't fucking know. Yeah. So tune in for that. See, see if we can rope anybody into doing this little Kim episode. Uh, feeling that will spring something on you. Yeah. Thanks. Mm. Thanks. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.